Amen. Mark chapter 435, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. Everyone say a storm. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion and the disciples, they woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, peace, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Suddenly the fear of the storm was re replaced with the fear of God and it gripped them. And they said, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, tonight we will commence a three-part series, and our series has an overall title, and each of the three parts, they have uh, subsidiary or specific titles. That was a big word, I'm sorry. Now, I'm going to be a bit unconventional tonight, and I'm going to give you my title at the conclusion of the message. But in the meantime, turn to your neighbor and let them know God's got your back. Oh, come on now. With a little bit of gusto, turn to your neighbor and say, God's got your back. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the, the word of God. We thank you for everything you're going to do in this place. Open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us. Allow us to operate and step into what you want to do in this service. God, we pray. Lord, I pray that you would change and shift and turn something here in this service tonight in a way that only you can do. And we'll give you all the glory for it. And uh, why don't you say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. When you find yourself in a bind, when deadlines loom and you have a mountain of work to accomplish, when a pipe bursts and your basement floods and you only have a small amount of time to move your furniture out of the way, when you break down on the side of the road and you don't have CAA, which probably is not a great life decision, but in these scenarios, who do you call? Now, hopefully we all have someone or maybe a few people that are on that short list of people that we can turn to in our, in our moment of need. Hopefully you have someone in your life that you know that no matter what the dilemma, they will come running to your aid. Anybody got a friend like that? Let's all sing, you've got a friend in me right now, just to celebrate this moment. A friend like that. They're hard to find sometimes, but they're so valuable. Somebody who has your back no matter what, and we all need friends like that. Someone who's got our back. Now the phrase, I got your back, the idiom, it arose, they suggest in the Second World War, as buildings and other defensive positions were being cleared by squads, that first soldier to enter, he, he was very reliant on the others to protect him from the rear as he concentrated fully on what lay ahead of him. Now this explanation for the phrase, it seems best as it agrees with the similar phrase, watch my back. They, they are this call and response together, watch my back, I've got your back. And both emerged in the English vernacular around the same time around the Second World War. As that soldier or small squad would step out to clear an area, 
their comrades would call out, I got your back, to affirm that there was no need to worry about watching behind them. They could concentrate on moving forward because they had somebody backing them up all the way. Again, anybody got a friend like that? Somebody who you know is backing you up and will be there for you no matter what. Now, a couple of years ago, we decided that we were going to move, and as we approached the closing date, I got a call from my good friend and the youth pastor at our church, Alex Kinney. And he notified me. I didn't need to solicit this. He just told me that he was going to take a day off of work to help me move our stuff. I didn't have to ask him. He initiated the call. Now, that's a good friend. That's a friend that's got your back. But he's not dumb. He moved the following summer. He knew what he was doing. He was making a deposit in the bank. <laughs> and of course, I had to return the favor. Because I got your back, bro. And thank you for having mine. You know, you, you know they're a good friend when they do something like that. Or, or maybe, uh, have, have you ever... Have you ever had a registration sticker out of date or, or maybe your taillights are burnt out and you're afraid of getting a ticket and you need to go somewhere? And so, so you know, have you ever needed somebody to follow behind you to make sure that no policeman got too close to, to you as you're driving? We've all been there a time or two, sorry to say. I've helped people in that, in that position before and I won't incriminate anybody right now, but I could. You know, that one more little story here. Uh, Pastor Jack has been someone like that for me over the years, someone who's had my back in many different situations, helped me with different projects or different things that I needed done when I was in a bind. And one time, my alternator went in my car, and it was stuck in the CCC parking lot. And I'm frugal or cheap, my wife would say probably, and I didn't want to pay for a tow truck to take me to the garage. And I'm not very mechanical, and so Pastor Jack, seeing my car stuck in the parking lot, offered to tow me to his house and fix the car. Now, how was he going to tow me, you might be asking. That's a great question. Well, with his Dodge Grand Caravan, of course, we call it lovingly Old Blue. She's still kicking. He said that he turned it on the other day. It started right up. So with the Dodge Grand Caravan and a chain. A Dodge Grand Caravan and a chain. Now keep in mind, my car will not turn on. My alternator is gone. I have no power steering. I have no acceleration. I have no nothing. All I have are the brakes, sort of. So he hooks on to my car. He's in the van. I'm behind him in the car. And I got to say, the parking lot, no problem. No problem. We took big, wide turns. Easy peasy. Downing Street, we even got a little bit of acceleration on that slope. No problem. Easy. But then we came to that blind hill on Bridge Street. Now, if you're watching online, you may not know this, but, but there's a, a tumultuous blind hill at the end of the street that our church is located upon. And that hill is nerve-wracking on the best of days. It could be clear skies. It could be good road conditions. And you just never know when somebody with a need for speed is going to come cresting over that blind hill. 
And then you come to a season like now. Now, the, he didn't tell me in the winter, but right now, I mean, with snow banks, both directions are dangerous. So you just close your eyes and you pull out and just turn the wheel to the left and you hope for the best. It's Jesus take the wheel as we're leaving church. So we, we come to the end of Downing Street and... Uh, and I got to tell you, as bad as those situations are, it's even worse when you're being towed by a chain hooked to a grand caravan and your car doesn't work. And so there we sit and we're watching. We're on the phone and we're like, you know, talking back and forth. Do you see anybody coming? I don't know. Do you? And he said, let's roll. So he pulled out and I'm just being hooked behind, you know, drugged behind literally. And, and uh, now that's a sharp turn. I'm just wondering, is this chain going to come unhooked? If it does, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, I'm dead meat. I'm going to be T-boned if this comes unhooked. I'm just going to jump out of the car and dive into the bushes. I was worried, honestly, my biggest fear was I was worried about the integrity of the chain itself. Because that's a lot of tension hauling a, a vehicle like that. And, and I just kept envisioning, no word of a lie, that this chain was just going to break somehow. And... Uh, in fact, I kind of drove with my head sort of like behind the steering wheel because I just figured that this chain was going to snap and shoot through the windshield and lodge in an eye socket or something. That's what I thought was going to happen. Now, thankfully, I am alive today to tell you this story. But I'm grateful that I've got friends like that, people that have got my back. Come on, say, say, I've got your back. We all need friends like that, don't we? Now, tonight, I want to tell you, these are silly stories, but, but please allow me to, to bring it back to center and tell you about a friend like that. Allow me to tell you about a God who will never leave you or forsake you. And no matter what issues of life may arise, the bottom may fall out on my plans and people may betray me and walk out the back door, but not this Jesus who I serve, not this God who I serve. The scripture says my mother and my father may forsake me, but not this Jesus, the Lord will take me up. And no matter how life, how low I fall in life, the scripture says that the eternal God is my refuge and, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And even when the chaos of life is the fault of my own poor choices and I cause my own difficulty, the scripture says, even if we are faithless, yet he abideth faithful because he cannot deny himself. His nature is to be faithful. Great is thy faithfulness, the prophet Jeremiah said. Proverbs 18, 24, it says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend. Everyone say a friend. And this friend, he sticks closer than a brother. Come what may, whatever might happen in my life, I just want to be somebody to be encouraged today and let you know that God's got your back. As good a friend that you might find in this earth, this Jesus is better. He's closer than a brother. Everyone say God's got your back. Now allow me to take a bit of time this evening and dissect our opening story from Mark chapter 4. This, this story, it's, it's a moment in time, of course, when Jesus' disciples find themselves in the middle of a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Now we started in verse 35, but if you look at the chapter as a whole, it begins with Jesus teaching the crowds and his disciples there. 
and, and he's going through parables. He was someone who always used stories to communicate the truths of the kingdom. And in this, in this chapter, there is the parable of the sower in particular. But Jesus also talks about not putting a candle under a bushel. And he compares the kingdom to a mustard seed and so on. And immediately following all of this teaching, all of these parables, Jesus tells the disciples that it's time to cross the lake. Here's a really good question for us to consider. Did Jesus know when he told them to cross that lake, to cross that Sea of Galilee, did he know that they would encounter a storm like they did? And the answer is, of course he knew. He's God in flesh. He's the great omniscient one. He is all-knowing, and Jesus knew exactly what he was sending them into. It certainly didn't catch him by surprise, though it certainly did his disciples. Now, now just take this as, a, again, a bird's-eye view. You follow the progression of this chapter, and you see that immediately after the teaching from Jesus was over, it was time to get a move on. Let's cross the lake and step right into a storm. Now, you see, hearing and knowing the Word of God, it's powerful, it's wonderful, it's needful. But living it out in our daily lives, especially in a season of a storm, that's a whole different ball of wax, isn't it? It's in seasons like that when we don't just know the Word of God, but we really start believing the Word of God. First, there was a time of teaching, but then there came a time of testing, as it were. It's almost as if the Sea of Galilee, it became a practicum for the disciples. They had their classroom time with Jesus, but now it was time to move beyond kingdom theory into living out their faith in practice. They had been hearers of the word, but now it was time to be doers of the word and flesh out their faith and have faith in Jesus Christ even when the going got rough. Can I tell you tonight that true faith it's only proven when it is tested. And testings and trials and storms, they are good for us. It's right, and sometimes Jesus walks us right into the middle of them. The psalmist said, 119.67, he said, Before I was afflicted, I would go astray. But now, after I've been afflicted, now I kept thy word. And so he concluded in verse 71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. That's not something we say very often, is it? But the psalmist said, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. Why? That I might learn thy statutes. I've heard them. I know of them. But because I was afflicted, because you allowed me to walk right into the middle of a storm, now I can learn and know your statutes and keep your word. That's the power of affliction. That's the power of a storm, as uncomfortable as it may be. So sometimes... Jesus will do that. I notice I'm not getting a rousing amen or a hand clap or a shout, but sometimes Jesus will do that. Walk us right into a storm so that our faith can be strengthened and the word can find root in the deepest part of our soul. And so the disciples, they don't know what's coming, and neither do we. They have no idea, so they launch out into the water without any question, and away they go. And it wasn't long before the wind started blowing. It wasn't long before the waves started roaring and the boat was filling up with water. They were in a storm. And boy, this was some storm. Evidently, it, 
This storm, it was significant. The scripture in the KJV calls it a great storm, a fierce storm. And it must have been pretty bad seeing that these seasoned fishermen figured they were going to drown. That was their conclusion, which, which is interesting and, and strange to me because they had grown up fishing on this lake. They knew the Sea of Galilee which was prone to unexpected, turbulent storms. This was nothing new. They had walked through situations similar to this many times before, no doubt. You look at the the geography of that region, the topography of Galilee, and I'm no meteorologist, but but the way that the hills and the mountains surround the Sea of Galilee, it makes it uh, uh, prone to have these storms move in just at a moment's notice. And so they would have been in similar situations before. But this one was bad enough that fear began to grip them. And they figured that drowning was the only possible outcome. Let me tell you tonight that their fear in these moments was a result of their focus in these moments. Their fear was a result of their focus. During your storm, you have to be careful what you focus on. Now, now, a little later on, they cross the lake and they do their stuff, and then they're actually going to come back a little bit later, and Matthew records another storm at another time, at another crossing of the Sea of Galilee. And again, it is the disciples in a boat, and this time, Jesus comes walking near them on the water, and it is here where Peter steps out, and he begins also walking on the water toward Jesus. And the Scripture says, but when he saw the wind that was boisterous, he was afraid. His fear was a result of his focus, and he began to sink. And isn't that the way it goes for us as well? Just like Peter, when he focused on the storm, fear began gripping his heart, and he began to sink, and drowning would have been his fate, but for Jesus. Tells me that when you get focused on the storm, drowning seems inevitable. Sinking just seems to be the only thing that goes, that goes and happens you got to be careful what you focus on in your storm because for them, their fear, it was a result of their focus. The storm begins raging, perhaps the worst storm of their lives, and they became fixated on the wind and the waves and the water. No doubt they would have looked forward desperately trying to catch a glimpse of the shore in the distance. How much further do we have to go on this journey? How much more is there before we land? I'm not sure if we have it in us to make it the rest of the way. They would have looked around and they they would have seen and felt as the wind blew sheets of water into their faces, drenching them and dashing their hopes. They saw wave after wave approaching, relentlessly thrashing their boat, which to them was their only safety net. To them, that was the only thing keeping them afloat. And just as they would recover their footing from the last wave, here comes another one. You ever felt like that before? How much more of this can I possibly take? And they would have looked down as water spilled inside, soaking their sandals, sinking their boat. It was bad. And how could you not be consumed by a storm like this? How could you not be distracted by all of the chaos swirling around you like they did? 
And as they became ever more focused on the storm, fear was the result and drowning seemed like the only feasible outcome. And I know today that I'm preaching to people that maybe you know what it is to be in the middle of a fierce storm like that where everywhere you look, all you seem to see is chaos. And you just get past one wave of despair and here comes another one washing over you. You're taking on water and Maybe you don't see an outcome except for drowning. And it feels like this storm may be the one that finally takes you out. You ever been in a situation or a season like that before? You ever, you ever felt like you're about to drown in this sea of life before, overwhelmed by all the pressures that are coming against you? I felt like that before. And I know that probably many of you have too. And if you haven't, it's coming. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulations. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. We all know what it is. But at the beginning of this series, to somebody who is traversing troubled waters, please allow me to challenge the narrative of your mind and offer you some hope today. Because I want you to know that no matter what storm of life you may find yourself in today or what storm of life you may find yourself in someday. I've come to tell you that God's got your back and you don't have to face it alone, but you have the master of the wind and the waves on your side. Come on, somebody ought to shout it today. God's got my back. Be encouraged today and and be reminded today that Jesus is there with you. All the way. Remember what Jesus said at the beginning of this passage, Mark 4.35, Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake. And the mere fact that Jesus said that, the mere fact that Jesus spoke and said, we're going to the other side, it meant that no matter what happened in the process, they were going to make it through. They were going to make it through. When Jesus speaks a word like that, There is enough power resident in the word that Jesus speaks to cause it to come to pass. And maybe the disciples didn't understand this yet. Maybe they had had just become so overwhelmed by what was going on around them that maybe they, they, they forgot that truth, that there is power in the word of Jesus. But if Jesus said it, if Jesus said that we are going to make it through, if Jesus said that we're going all the way to the other side, if Jesus said that we're going on to glory someday, then I have no reason to fear what may happen to me in the midst and in the middle. It doesn't matter what circumstance may come against me or or overwhelm me. If Jesus said I'm going to make it, then I can take it to the bank. If Jesus said it, I believe it and that settles it. Come on, clap your hands for a moment. Just for a moment, lift your voice in this atmosphere. And just get it in your spirit today. The Lord is with you. The Lord is for you. And you're going to make it. Hallelujah. Whether the storm subsides or whether I have to fight through it all the way until I reach that other shore, I can't be certain of of how it's all going to shake down. I can't be certain how how Jesus is going to work it all out. Maybe he'll calm my storm or or maybe he won't. But but one thing I know is that I'm going on with Jesus. I'm going to make it through this because Jesus said I would. 
I'll tell you tonight that the only way you're not going to make it, the only way you're not passing on to that other shore and going, going on to the other side of the lake is if you accept defeat. And if you start believing like the disciples, that drowning is your only option. If you choose to replace your faith with fear, you may start believing that your storm has more power than the one that called you into it. That's, the, that's what happens when we get focused on everything going around us. When, when we get focused on the wind and the waves and the water, you may start believing in your storm more than your master. The enemy wants to get you here. The enemy wants to get you to give up and, and to stop bailing water and, and to stop fighting and, and just jump ship. Stop bailing water and just bail. Just go ahead. Give in. Give up. But if you will just keep standing, you will make it. If you will just keep fighting with whatever strength you have, you will make it through. Because I am confident, as Paul said, of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, Come on, get it in your spirit today. He that hath begun a good work in you, he will perform it. He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Somebody shout hallelujah. What Paul is saying here is he's letting us know that Jesus is going to see us on through to glory to the day of Jesus Christ. We aren't going down. We aren't going to drown. But we're going to make it to the other side. I wish somebody would just say it today. I'm going to make it. I'm going to go all the way. I'm not going to drown. I'm not going down because Jesus has my back. If Jesus started us on this journey, he's going to see us through because what Jesus begins, he backs. He is the author of this storm, and he is the author of your storm. And if Jesus began the work in you, he backs it. Somebody say, God's got my back. So let's rejoin the disciples. They're in the storm of their lives. But where is Jesus? Obvious question. I know we read it. Mark 4.38. Bible says that Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat. I'm going to say the back of the boat. Now, I don't know how your mind works, and I'm sorry, but perhaps this is an inconsequential detail of the text. But, but I want you to just notice with me that Jesus was there behind them the whole time. Jesus had their back, literally. King James Version says he was in the hinder parts of the boat. Now, thankfully, in the midst of the turmoil and in the midst of the affliction that had come upon them, someone had enough sense to get their eyes and their mind off of the storm and remember that Jesus was in their boat. Can I just tell you, every once in a while, you've got to just stop looking around and look back over your shoulder and remind yourself who is backing you up. Every once in a while, you've got to remind yourself who's in your corner and who's got your back. Come on, Jesus is there. He's been there the whole time. And if we would just stop long enough fixating on our storm and fixating on everything going wrong, if we would stop looking at the problem and instead look to Jesus... If we would look to Jesus, we would recognize that, that Jesus has been there beside us the whole time. He's not been afar off, but he is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's a friend like that. 
And in that moment, I have to believe that the disciples, they were reminded that that Jesus had their back. They were reminded that the one who had called them out into the water to step out in the first place, that, that that, that he was there in their boat for their benefit. We gotta be reminded of that today. I'm not fighting this fight of faith alone. I'm not fighting this fight of faith alone. We've got the body of Christ and I thank God for that. But I, but I, I am in covenant with my creator. And he is not far. He is as close as the mention of his name. He is nigh to them that call unto him, who call to him in truth or sincerity. That is the God that I serve. He's got my back. He is fighting for me. And no darkness can overwhelm me if I remember whose I am and who's in my boat. Let me tell you today that our only job in any season, but certainly in a season when we are in a storm, is to do what the disciples did and turn to Jesus and invite him to get involved. Turn to Isaiah chapter 30 with me for a moment. Isaiah chapter 30. Now now I'm going to come back to Mark 4 in just a few minutes, but but this is a powerful passage of Scripture. Verse 19 is where we'll begin. But but Judah in in this time... The people of God, they are looking to make an alliance with the nation of Egypt, which we understand is a type, a shadow of this world and its system. And and, uh, they're doing this because they are being afflicted by the Assyrian army. So the enemy is coming in and, and Judah has a choice. And they're choosing to go toward the world for help. And Isaiah the prophet, he speaks and he said, People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. And how gracious he will be when you cry for help. And as soon as he hears, he will answer you. As soon as you call to him, he will answer you. Now, I can't promise you that everything's going to go away. I can't promise you that the affliction will stop instantaneously. But what I can promise you is that when you call to him, he will answer you as soon as you call to him. That is your responsibility in any storm, in any affliction, to find the grace of God when you cry to him for help. And I love this, verse 20. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Notice, verse 20. The prophet said that adversity and affliction, what was the source of the adversity and the affliction? Who gave it? Who gave it? It's right there. The Lord gave you the bread of adversity. We don't like that. (laughs) Do we? I mean, do we like it when, when, you know, Jesus, he gets baptized. You know the story. It's powerful. The dove descends. The voice from heaven speaks. What's the next thing you read? You know, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What's the next thing you read? Then Jesus was led into the wilderness by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. We don't like that. We don't like that. The Lord gave the bread of adversity. The Lord gave the water of affliction. Nobody likes that, but, but, but also notice with me that, that those things, adversity and affliction, they're actually our bread and our water. You know, our struggle is actually our sustenance. You see what I'm saying? Our fight is actually our food. The things that we go through, the afflictions that we face, they're actually there to strengthen us. 
and to sustain us and to build our faith. It's bread. It's water. We misunderstand that. I think so many believers, they misunderstand the purpose of storms sometimes. They struggle to grasp why God would do something like that. Why would you send them into the storm? Why would, you, why would you allow adversity from the Assyrian army to come against your people, God? Why would you do that? Struggles are important. Consider this illustration tonight. Biosphere 2. It's an American Earth System Science Research Facility. That's a mouthful. And it is located in Oracle, Arizona. Constructed between 1987 and 1991, the Biosphere 2 project was created as a research tool for scientists to study Earth's living systems. And it allowed scientists to play with farming and innovation in a way that didn't harm the planet. And one of the most profound discoveries made by the scientists had nothing at all to do with a cure for some new disease or some new way of farming the land, but rather the discovery had to do with the wind's role in a tree's life. Everyone say the wind. The trees inside Biosphere 2, they grew rapidly, more rapidly than they would have on the outside of the dome, in fact. But they also fell over before they reached maturation. And after looking at the root systems and outer layers of the bark, the scientists came to realize that a lack of wind in Biosphere 2, it caused a deficiency of what they called stress wood. Stress wood is the thing that helps a tree Position itself for optimal sun absorption. And it also helps the trees grow more solidly. And without stress wood, a tree, it can grow quickly, but it cannot support itself fully. It cannot withstand even normal wear and tear to survive. In other words, the trees needed some stress in order to thrive in the long run. It was easy to spring up and and be this fly-by-night sort of tree, you know, here today and gone tomorrow. But in order to survive for the long haul, the trees needed some wind. And that is exactly what, what the scripture says that that storm in Mark chapter 4 was. It was a great storm of wind that arose against the disciples. It was adversity, it was affliction, but it was for their benefit. That's why James said, my brethren counted all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, it worketh patience or endurance. So let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, entire, wanting and lacking nothing. Peter said, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Understanding that the trial of your faith which your faith is much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Though your faith be tried with fire, it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. There's a purpose for your problem. Your affliction and your adversity is for your advancement. Which is why Job said, he knows the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I don't like it any more than the next guy. But I understand. I've got a revelation today that, though, that, that when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The wind. Everyone say the wind. 
our difficulties, our storm, they are permitted by God not to drive us away from him and certainly not to drown us. It's for our benefit. And sometimes I believe God allows these things so that we can have this come to ourself moment and get our eyes focused back on Jesus. Because sometimes when the waters are calm and everything is smooth sailing, sometimes it's easy to ignore Jesus. Just kind of forget that he's there. He's, he's asleep. No one's talking to him. But that storm, it turned their attention back to him. When we are in a storm, what do we do? Do we give into despair? Do we jump ship? Or do we do, do we do what they did and go to Jesus with our problems and ask him for his help? I humbly submit to you today that perhaps the greatest reason that storms come beyond strengthening your faith and all of that, perhaps the greatest purpose is so that we will turn to Jesus fully again. Perhaps our, our prayer can be reignited powerfully in a season of affliction. James in chapter 5, he said, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. This is, what, this is what you do if you're sick in your body. This, this is the word of God for somebody tonight. If you're sick, this is a, a, a powerful promise and, and a powerful commandment in Scripture. Call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. And so James tells us that if we are sick, get others involved. Have them pray, and God will heal us. There's a promised outcome for that scripture. But back up to verse 13 and notice this. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Period. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Period. So if we face affliction, James does not tell us to get others involved. He tells us to go to prayer. And he doesn't have an attached promise, doesn't say that God will remove it. He just gives us the mandate to pray. The only information we are given for when we face afflictions and troubles is that we need to make our way to Jesus and talk to him about what we are walking through. So evidently there's a difference between how we should respond to sickness and affliction. Because with sickness, the church is to get involved. It's right to bring our needs to our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and allow them to bear our burdens and believe together for healing. But perhaps when we face affliction, it is God's intention, not that we go to everybody else, invent our problems and post it on Facebook, but that we go to God and pray. Are you afflicted today? Are you dealing with trial and trouble? Are you in the midst of a storm today? It's time to pray. It's time to look back over your shoulder, turn around to this God who's got your back and start talking to Jesus. Because the prophet concludes Isaiah 30 verse 21, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, everyone say a voice behind you. A voice behind you. Can I tell you, there's a voice behind you today. Your Savior is in the back of your boat, and you don't need to be distracted by your storm any longer. You need not worry about how much longer your journey is. But you need to start listening for that voice.
listening for that voice behind you. As we close, music join me. Notice a couple things from the narrative in Mark chapter 4. Verse 38 tells us that Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat. I'm going to say he was sleeping. Now, this is an interesting detail to me. It, it evokes images of Jonah, actually. Another lesson, another summer for another time. But, but Jonah was asleep in the bottom of a boat, also during a storm. And, and these two storms, they're brought on for different reasons. But in similar fashion, the storm is calmed after the sleeper is roused. Powerful. Now, Jesus being asleep is important because it tells us that the very storm that is perplexing the disciples is not keeping Jesus up at night. Can I tell you that Jesus, the one who never slumbers nor sleeps, <laughs> as the scripture says, here we see him sleeping. I mean, it's his humanity, but I think there is a symbol here. He's not, he's not losing sleep over the things that worry us. He's not perplexed by the things that are perplexing you. He's already declared that they are going to the other side. So why be worried about something that is already settled? It's settled. It's done. So rest easy. Be at peace. Take your cues from the master. Everything is going to be all right. But the disciples aren't at peace, are they? It's easier said than done. It's easy to get up on, you know, and, and say don't worry, but when you're right in the middle of it, that's an awfully difficult thing to do. The disciples aren't at peace. In fact, the, the scripture in the New Living, it says that they woke Jesus up and they shout at him. This is not the sign of a calm person. They shout, teacher, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, the scripture says that he rebuked those winds and, and he rebuked those waves. And, and he said, silence, peace, be still. And even creation, it had to heed to the sound of his voice. The wind stopped and there was a great calm. Now, as I close tonight, I am basically done. In each of the, the three parts of this series, we're going to look at three different stories. And I have three different titles that I've prepared for each message. And as I prayed about the title for this first part, I first thought that the title, He Calms My Storm, would be the obvious choice. Because that's the culmination of the story. That's the end result of what happens in Mark chapter 4. Jesus calms the storm. But the truth of the matter is, although Jesus can calm my storm, Sometimes he chooses not to come, my storm. Now, we all have to have faith in the power of God. We all have to have faith in the power that Jesus can. And we need to pray as though he will. But I must also have faith in the wisdom of God if he chooses not to. Now, I think the, the disciples' question is revealing in verse 38 when they said, Teacher, don't you care? Don't you care? Evidently, the disciples were not convinced that Jesus was concerned with their dilemma. 
at the heart of the matter, I, I think, I, I don't think the disciples believed that Jesus cared about them or what might happen to them as a result of what they were walking through. Because if he cared, if Jesus cared, why would he send us out here? If Jesus really cared, why would he allow this storm? If he cared, why is there such pain in my body? If Jesus cared, why is there such dysfunction in my life? If he cared, why did I experience such trauma? If he cared, why did they have to leave us so soon? Now, I, I pray that God calms every storm. I pray that God rights every wrong in your life. And he can. Everyone say, he can. This is not a message to say that, that he won't. He can. And we ought to go talk to Jesus about some storms and pray that he will. Jesus, calm my storm. Calm this, this storm within me. Calm this storm around me. And Jesus can and perhaps he will. But sometimes and for all the times when God doesn't answer the way I think he should or it takes longer than I want, I must have faith in his wisdom and trust that he is still for me. Paul prayed for his thorn in the flesh to go three times, but it never left. Never left. John the Baptist was in a prison cell and he sent his disciples to Jesus and say, are you the one that we've been waiting for or should we look for another? He was having his own doubts and guess how that ended? With his head being cut off. Sometimes it doesn't go the way we think it should. <laughs> so let's pray for every storm to be calmed. Let's do it. Let's believe him for it. Let's believe for the miraculous. Let's believe for the supernatural because he can. And that's exactly what he did for the disciples. So, so we do have precedent, powerful precedent to pray for something powerful, supernatural, miraculous to happen. But while the winds and the waves are still raging, before I see complete victory, I cannot draw the conclusion that God doesn't care. I must not draw that conclusion. And I must echo the words and the sentiment of Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. So perhaps it's really strange to give you my title at the end of a message, but, but I felt led to do it today, and I felt led to remind somebody, yes, he can calm my storm, but more importantly, he cares for me. No matter what you're walking through today, can I just tell you, in the Holy Ghost, Jesus cares for you, and he loves you, and it is not unto death because even if we don't see the miracle on this side of eternity, we'll see it on that side of eternity if we don't give up and if we don't jump ship, if we will just stay in this, in this fight, we're going to make it. Stand together with me. I just want to say, let us not fall prey to that same mindset that got a hold of those disciples. They thought, that their storm was proof that Jesus didn't care, but that wasn't true, was it? Jesus cares. In fact, that affliction, on the other side of it, there was a man that was possessed of the devil that needed deliverance. They were going to be involved in that. Paul said, we are comforted in our trials so that we may comfort you. Somebody else is going to get blessed by this too. 
Your affliction has a purpose. It does. And your storm is not proof that Jesus doesn't care. He cares for you. He's got your back. No matter what you're walking through, He is with you. He has not forsaken you. And though the storm is difficult, it is ultimately permitted for your good. And this storm may be the very thing that reignites that dormant prayer life that builds up your faith and allows you to see the miraculous touch of God. It is for your advantage. That's how much Jesus cares for you. So don't draw the wrong conclusion. Instead, draw close to Jesus. God's got your back. As we conclude this service tonight, I don't know all the situations in the room, but I know that there's enough. I know that there's some people walking through some difficulty right now. And if you're not right now, it probably will happen soon and you ought to pray too. But I close with 1 Peter 5 and 7. Here's what we need to do. Cast all of your care upon him. Why? Because he cares about you. He cares about you. Somebody needs to go to Jesus, talk to him about your storm, believe him for the miraculous, and declare that no matter what happens, Jesus, I trust you. I wonder, can we just step out of our seats right now? If you want to come to this altar, if you're bringing a burden, that's all right. That's what tonight is for. I believe that healing is going to sweep across this, this sanctuary and faith is going to rise. And, and where maybe you, you've had that wrong conclusion, the Lord is going to allow a greater trust, a greater faith in the, in the work of God in your life to wash over you. Replacing those waves that have been washing over you. Let faith wash over you again. Lift your hands as you come. Come on, if you're in the middle of something, if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I wonder if you would just lift your voice right now and just trust that the Lord is going to see you through somehow. I invite somebody tonight to cast your care upon him because he cares for you. Jesus, I know what I declare. You care for me. You know where I am. You know what I'm walking through. In fact, I understand, God. I have a revelation that what you've allowed me to walk into, it's for my good. And this, it's because you care. It's because you care. on those disciples they were not afraid they were not inhibited but they lifted their voice they lifted their voice and they called out to Jesus I wonder if somebody would just lift your voice right now and just call out to Jesus Jesus now son of David have mercy on me see me in my storm God see me in my affliction Lord draw me close in this season let your perfect work be accomplished in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. Come on, just somebody enter in right now. I would that somebody would enter in right now. Just. 
Just press into the presence of the Lord. Strength can be found in this moment in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, in the name, in the name of Jesus. going to sing in a moment, but I want us to do what James told us to do. I want us to do what the disciples did. I want us to pray and I want us to believe for miracles. The message is not that we should just accept whatever may come. We ought to go before the throne and petition and pray and push and believe. So if you've come forward, if you're in the, in the audience, it really matters not where you are. But if you, if you have something that is beyond your capacity to change, if you've got the wind, the waves, and the water swirling around you, if, you, if you're bringing something to the Lord, just raise your hand right now. Just, just let it be a sign of faith. I'm bringing this to you, Jesus. It's beyond me. I've got family that are lost and without you. I, I've, got, I've got pain. I've got dilemma. I've got whatever. If you've got anxiety in your mind, just lift your hand. Anything you've got that you're bringing to the Lord. And I wonder if we can join together with somebody that has their hand raised or maybe just across this sanctuary. Let's find somebody to pray with as the body of Christ. And can we just pray and believe God for the miraculous? Can we pray and believe God for some storms to just begin to shift and change, that, that the winds would begin to turn in Jesus' name? Come on, we'll trust him regardless, but, but it shouldn't stop us from praying and believing in the meantime. Come on, we need to get somewhere in prayer. We're not going to linger any longer than we need to. We need to get somewhere in prayer right now because I believe that as the people of God pray, that God can speak peace to your storm. Come on, just raise the volume for a moment. Just... Just raise that prayer intensity. Just raise that intercession. In the name of the Lord Jesus, God, upon the authority of your word, we know that you are a peace speaker. We know that you are a storm calmer. God, we know that you are well able to make a way. And so we speak peace right now. God, we believe in your power. We believe in miracles. We believe in healing. We believe in deliverance. We believe in the supernatural power of God. Come on, just let faith rise for a moment. Can we just let faith rise for a moment? Let's believe God for the miraculous. 